Hello and welcome to today's podcast. We gather today to speak on an extreme violence issue that has been happening daily in El Salvador. As a woman in the United States, we walk around in broad daylight with little concern for our safety. Nobody would do anything to us where the public can see and help is right around the corner, right? In our society, women are already being kidnapped, raped, and so much more awful hate crimes. And we have an incredibly strong infrastructure with a strong presence of law enforcement. El Salvador, however, is a different story. Women will be left with nothing and for nothing on the side of roads without anyone thinking twice. So take our statistics and add in the fact that this is a country with poor infrastructure, no government stability, and corrupt gangs that are creating law and order, quote-unquote, within the nation. That's the reality that all citizens in El Salvador face every single day when they wake up and get out of bed, if they even get out of bed. Most citizens admit that they are scared to even leave their bedroom. In El Salvadorian society, unfortunately, with the normalization of violence, they're left numb to these instances that would leave Americans, like you and me, stop dead in our tracks. Like I previously mentioned, most women even refuse to leave the safety of their own bedroom, terrified of the gang violence that awaits them when they step out of their front door. Even as a man in El Salvador, your life is constantly in danger unless you are in a gang already terrorizing others. Most of these men join gangs to protect themselves and keep themselves safe because if they're not in the gang, they're targeted by the gang. According to the International Crisis Group, the night is for the Moros, which do most of their killing then. It's also for the army and the police, who wait until after dark to conduct their house-by-house searches for criminal suspects. Police officers always wear a goro navarone or face covering cloth, scared that gang members will come after them and their families when they realize that they are police officers. This snippet of information shows that even law enforcement is scared for their lives due to this extreme gang violence. The fact that the people who are supposed to be protecting the Salvadorians fear for their lives really contributes to the statement that El Salvador is in a dire and extremely dangerous situation. The largest gangs in El Salvador are made up of about 65,000 members, but the total amount of citizens that say they participate in gang activity to ensure their livelihood and safety was estimated to be roughly half a million people. That's 500 thousand citizens who are terrified to walk the streets without being a part of a gang. There is a countless amount of these gangs in El Salvador. However, there are very few large and well-known groups that dominate certain parts of the region. Miraz, such as MS-13, are infamous in 94% of El Salvador's 262 municipalities. The United States has been sending aid to El Salvador in an attempt to increase the strength and productivity of their defense and law enforcement. 
Within the past three years, the State Department has said to have spent at least $48 million on training for police officers in this country in an attempt to help with the dire situation at hand. The Salvadorian government, with U.S. government support, has made significant gains in the area of security, including reductions in homicides and every other category of violent crime measured, the State Department said in a statement issued in a response to an inquiry by the Washington Post. In this episode, I'm going to be collaborating with a Colombian student named Ana Sanchez, Her and I have been working on this project for a little while, and it's really cool to have a perspective from the United States as well as a perspective from Colombia due to the fact that it's a little closer to El Salvador than Texas. (laughs) However, Ana was not able to figure out how to send messages for the podcast, so instead of me adding in her segment, I'm going to be speaking on behalf of her in our outline that we created for this podcast. According to Anna, these gangs are an effect from the violence legacy this country left in 1980 after the civil war between FMLN, Guerra, I think that's how you pronounce it, <laughs> I apologize for that, and El Salvador's government for more than a decade. This affected El Salvador's history with the help of the new immigration laws imposed by the U.S., where all Salvadorian convicted of crime were deported back to El Salvador. As a product of these laws, the recycle of violence was created, founding a fragile and struggling state. Followed by this chaos, Salvadorians were influenced by the gang culture brought from the U.S. prisoners and the brutality of this their country had experienced before then, leading to new gangs such as MS-13 and LA-18. Leaving the country with families divided, travel impossible, and a crippled government was a stage people where people weren't priorities and they were being buried in all of the violence that was crippling the country. El Salvador has gotten to the state where missing persons aren't even the priority. It's burying the bodies that they find as fast and as quiet as possible before even more are found. These issues are becoming so severe that law enforcement won't even go in the streets during nighttime hours. And without that law enforcement, gangs have just been able to take over the city completely. Human rights are thrown out the window when you talk about how people, and especially women, are treated in this country. The community is falling apart without a strong backbone to hold them up and help citizens fight against gang takeover. This problem has taken many lives over the years, showing us the impact and the weight of this conflict towards the Salvadorians. In her notes, Anna mentions that the free time of Salvadorians is a majority of the way that gangs can attract more young members. Teenagers having other 
hobbies besides being involved in drugs or violence will often include sports or academic academic activities if the school allows it. This is one way that smart teenagers will try to keep themselves away from the crooked roads of gang activity. She mentions that if education is improved and knowledge is pushed more on young children and young adults, then improvements in the country will be notable towards a better community and a stronger wall against gang activity. This is pretty much wrapping up Anna's portion of the segment. I apologize again that we weren't able to get her audio, but I'm glad that we had enough time to get an in-depth outline and script so that I could read it off for her. I know I probably pronounced some stuff wrong, but we got the point. (laughs) We can do our absolute best to try to defuse the situation. But at the end of the day, our efforts are a fraction of what needs to happen to create real change in El Salvador. It is simply beyond our capacity, and it may be beyond everyone else's too.